Good morning. I don't know what about it is about walking up on this stage that the, just your mouth just turns into the Sahara Desert. <laughs> I'm glad to be here with you this morning. I'm glad you're here. Uh, I want to reiterate what Dan said last week. We appreciate our pastor and all he does and uh, and giving some different voices to from time to time and give him a little break, which is well deserved. So this morning we're going to look at uh, the 91st Psalm. He asked, uh, the pastor looked at me several weeks ago, month or more. He said, you want to preach out of Psalms? I said, sure. He said, well, just pick one. Your favorite one. I said, oh, okay. So I did not hesitate. Psalm 91 was, uh, was what I picked. So let's, uh, before we get started on in that, I pulled a, I was flipping through internet the other day and came up, came across a Gallup poll that uh, was, uh, I found, I don't know, I don't believe everything you read, I don't think you can, but uh, it was uh, it was different. So if we could put that poll, that Gallup poll up, is it up? There it is. Uh, it says that church goers have now dropped down below 50%. All the way down from 73% uh, when it started in 1937, and then it stayed steady at 70 through 2000, and then the last 20 years uh, dropped all the way down to 47 percent. I showed this to, I was showing it to Jim Fowdy, and and he came up with another poll from it was a Fox News poll uh, by Pew uh, or something like that. Uh, and it was a little more optimistic. It, well, it just started not. It started higher. It said in the 90s that we were as high as 90 percent, and had dropped down to 60 something percent at this point. But it showed basically the same thing. That there is a precipitous fall, uh, and I understand, you know, the validity of any poll. I don't know. Uh, a skilled statistician can make numbers. They can twist them and they can turn them and make them come out however they want them to come out. Uh, but it just made me think that if this trend continues, uh, the Bible, the Gospels, especially the book of Acts, is going to become very real for us. Uh, we're going to experience firsthand what the first century Christians experienced was cutting across the grain of society and government, uh, friends, maybe even family. Uh, so that as these percentages begin to shift, uh, the world is going to become more emboldened and hostile to Christians. And if they do, and as they do, the best thing I can tell you is to get ready to be blessed. 
because in, uh, in Luke 6 and 22, it says, blessed are you <clears throat> when people, Whoop. there we go, there we go, well, not yet, there we go, blessed are you when people hate you and when they exclude you and revile you and spurn your name as evil on account of the Son of Man. So we've, uh, and we see it happening. We're a little protected here in the Bible Belt, uh, here in Little Fort Smith, Arkansas. Uh, but now there are places in the United States that I assure you that, uh, that you will run into this kind of hostility even now. And I don't think it'll get better. Uh, Peter evidently was listening when Jesus said this instead of talking, which was Peter's problem a lot of the time. But uh, in 1 Peter 4.12, basically he says, don't be surprised at the fiery trial uh, when it comes as though something strange were happening to you. So this is coming, and uh, we better be prepared. And you may say, well, what does this have to do with Psalms 91? Well, when this happens, you're going to need a fortress. And uh, so we're going to... uh, we're going to read Psalms 91 here in just a second, but the first thing I want to do is pray before we go into the Word of God. Father, we just praise you today. We thank you for your Word, that it is alive, that it's active, that it's uh, sharper than any two-edged sword, Father, and we just thank you for the anointing upon it. I pray, Lord, that you would make your Word clear to us, that the Holy Spirit would teach us and bring to remembrance, Lord, everything that you said and Father, just uh, we ask you to bless this time together, Lord, that, uh, that we would know that you are God. And we just praise you and we worship you in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, so let's read all of Psalms 91 real quick, and then we'll go through and kind of break it up into uh, a couple of pieces. He who dwells in the shelter of the Most High will abide in the shadow of the Almighty. I will say to the Lord, my fortress, my refuge and my fortress, my God in whom I trust. For he will deliver you from the snare of the fowler and from the deadly pestilence. He will cover you with his pinions and under his wings you will find refuge. His faithfulness is as a shield and buckler. You will not fear the terror of the night, nor the arrow that flies by day, nor the pestilence that stalks in the darkness, nor the destruction that wastes at noonday. A thousand may fall by your side, ten thousand by your right hand, but it will not come near you. You will only look with your eyes and see the recompense of the wicked. Because you have made the Lord your dwelling place, the Most High, who is my refuge, no evil shall be allowed to befall you, no plague come near your tent. For he will command his angels concerning you to guard you in all your ways. In their hands they will bear you up lest you strike your foot against a stone. You will tread on the lion and the adder, the young lion and the serpent you will trample underfoot. Because he holds fast to me in love, I will deliver him. I will protect him because he knows my name. When he calls to me, I will answer him. I will be with him in trouble. I will rescue him and honor him with long life. I will satisfy him and show him my salvation. Encouraging. Uh, 
What a great piece of scripture. So let's kind of look at this uh, in, in a couple of pieces. The first thing I see in verses 1 and 2 would be salvation. He who dwells in the shelter and he who abides in the shadow. If you find yourself in that place, you, uh, you did not just stumble in there. You did not just, uh, uh, by happenstance, end up in the shadow of the Almighty God. Uh, so if I find myself there or you find yourself there, there's really only one way that you got there. And John, Jesus tells us in, uh, in John 14 and 6, I am the way, I am the truth, I am the life, and no one comes to the Father except through me. So if you find yourself in the Holy of Holies in the presence of God, you got there by the blood of Jesus Christ, and you didn't get there by any other way. So you made a decision at some point in time, uh, just like Joshua said, choose today uh, whom you will serve. As for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. So you made that decision. And so by faith that was not yours, uh, it was a gift of God. You applied the blood of Jesus to your life. You confessed and repented of your sins. You turned your back on the world. You transformed, transferred lordship of your life from yourself to Jesus because you were bought, <clears throat> because you were not your own and you were bought with a price. You've been called out of the darkness and into the marvelous light. And even though you were dead in your trespasses, you've been made alive together with Christ. So you love Christ. You follow Christ, you obey Christ, you trust Christ, you abide in Christ. You, have, you fully understand by personal experience that you were saved by grace alone, by faith alone, and Christ alone. And you can declare to the Lord, my refuge and my fortress my God in whom I trust. I want to take just a second real quick here. If there's anybody in this room who's never, if you've never professed Jesus Christ to be your Savior and Lord, I pray you'd do that today. Don't leave today without making Jesus your Lord and Savior. There are any number of, uh, we're not going to make you come up front or we're not going to ostracize you in any way. But there are any number of people that you can talk to. There's our pastor right there. There's John. Uh, there's Adam Blaylock and Sherry and his wife. Bruce, I guess, went to the back. Uh, but if you need somebody to talk to about Jesus before you leave here today, grab somebody and say, uh, can you? Stop talking about lunch long enough to talk to me about Jesus, and I promise you that they will, and we will, and we will be glad to. So the second thing I see in verses 3 and 4 are discernment, distinction, 
and protection. The purpose of a snare, well, let's read this. For, the, uh, for he will deliver you from the snare of the fowler and from the deadly pestilence. <clears throat> he will cover you with his pinions and under his wings you will find refuge. His faithfulness is a shield and a buckler. So the first thing we see is a snare or a trap, uh, which are used to deceive, which are used to set up a rouge, to fool you, to capture you, to kill you, uh, to misdirect you, or to send you down a path uh, that would lead you uh, to somewhere that you did not want to be or to your destruction. And here in Arkansas, you know, we're well known for our uh, waterfowling opportunities. And in years past, uh, I spent quite a bit of time, money, and energy uh, chasing around <laughs> little birds flying around all over Arkansas. And uh, the tools of the trade were, well, they got more sophisticated as time went on and more expensive also, but... Uh, but basically, you had uh, a boat, and you went out, and you found a likely-looking place, and you had decoys that were plastic or different materials that were made to look, and as years went on, uh, recently, looked very much like a duck, very realistically. Forty years ago, mm, not so much. But uh, So you had decoys, and you had a call, which have also gotten tremendously more expensive, but also very... Uh, if you knew how to use one, you could sound exactly like a duck. And so the scenario is pretty easy. You put your decoys out and you hid in the bushes in your high dollar camouflage. And some unsuspecting ducks came flying by and you blew your call and they said, Oh, let's go sit with the bros down on the water. And so they came sailing in and then all of a sudden uh, the sound of duck calls is replaced with the sound of shotguns, and uh, uh, many did not make it out alive. So, uh, in Matthew 24, verses 4 and 5, Jesus talking to the disciples uh, as he's leaving the temple for the last time. Uh, he said, and they asked him about the end times. And he says, see that no one leads you astray. For many will come in my name saying, I am the Christ. And they will lead you and they will lead many astray. And then again, then again down in uh, verses 24, same chapter. For false Christ and false prophets will arrive and perform great signs and wonders so as to lead astray, if possible, even the elect. So these false Christs and false prophets, they're not going to be red and scaly with a forked tail carrying a pitchfork. They're going to, they're going to know the words of the song. They're going to know the lingo. They're going to know... Uh, the religious catchphrases. Uh, they're going to be able to quote scripture. 
right today, there are huge churches in this country that are in gross error, but they have thousands of people that are attending there today. Uh, we won't name any names, but trust me, they're there. You know, as a matter of fact, if you look at uh, if you look at verses eleven and twelve in in uh, in, the, in our psalm today, you know, he said, uh, "He will for he will command his angels concerning you to guard you in all your ways. On their hands they will bear you up, lest you strike your foot against a stone." Uh, where else have you heard that? I'll help you. Uh, in Luke 4 and 10, <clears throat> when Jesus is being tempted in his temptation by the devil, uh, Jesus and the devil are transported to the top, to it says the pinnacle of the temple in Jerusalem. And... Uh, the devil says to him, throw yourself down from here, for it is written, and he quotes Psalms 91, 11 and 12. But Jesus fires right back with Deuteronomy 6.16 and says, you shall not put the Lord thy God to the test. We need to be able to do that, all of us. We need to know the word if we are going to avoid the deceptions by the false prophets. And how can you do that if they know the word better than you know the word? You need to be abiding in the word and the word abiding in you. John 15, there's an entire chapter on them. Abiding in the vine. But I think the way that this happens with some effort on our part, in John 16 and 26, Jesus speaking, he said, But the Helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all that I have said to you. That's how you'll be delivered from the snare of the fowler. That's how you will be able to defend yourself against these things. Uh, one more quick reference that I just thought about when I was thinking about this was in Ephesians 6.11, a uh, very familiar scripture, uh, put on the whole armor of God that you might stand against the schemes of the devil, or in some translations, the wiles of the devil. Uh, because I assure you that they're scheming in hell right now. I'm sure that they have strategy meetings to do, figure out how they can trip us, mislead us, deceive us, and lead us down the wrong road. And just, uh, you know, you know there's, the, uh, there's the old saying about, you know, if, well, if it, if it walks like a duck and swims like a duck and quacks like a duck, it's a duck. But I assure you that if, if ducks had spirits that could testify, there are a lot of duck spirits that could testify that that's not true. Because they came in <clears throat> and sat down with something that they thought were very real ducks. But 
uh, ended up on in the frying pan for their. So, uh, not necessarily a duck, and that's how we need to be with these false prophets. We need to examine very carefully uh, exactly what they're saying, lest we be deceived and end up in the frying pan. And the second half of uh, verse 3, and from the deadly pestilence. And I'll be transparent with you. I, I somewhat struggled with this a little uh, because we know in reality in our lives we find out at a very early age uh, that very bad things happen to very good people. And... Uh, I think in a minute we're going to talk about some other things that I think will shed some more light on this. But I did run across in my, as I was cross-referencing these scriptures, uh, I came across Exodus 9, 3, and 4 as a cross-reference to, to the word pestilence in Psalms 91. And well, first of all, you know, there's some, uh, there's some discussion amongst the scholars about who wrote this psalm. Some say that David did, some say that Moses did, because Moses was the writer of the previous psalm. And psalm 90 is written by Ro Moses, and it tells you it's written by Moses. But 91, it does not tell you. And there's some language in here that makes you think that this, that's a possibility and so, uh, this is the situation is, is, is uh, Moses has come to the Pharaoh for the, what will be now the fifth time and says, let my people go. And uh, he says, because if you don't, in verse 3, behold, the hand of the Lord will fall with a very severe plague. And that word plague there is the same word used in Psalms 91. In pet for pestilence, which is also which is very often throughout the Hebrew connected with the judgment of God, and so we have a judgment going on here on Egypt on Pharaoh and Egypt. Uh, behold, the hand of the Lord will fall <clears throat> with very severe plague upon your livestock that are in the field the horses and the donkeys and the camels and the herds and all the flocks. And so sure enough, uh, the next morning, they, uh, in verse 4, it said, But the Lord will make a distinction between the livestock of Israel and the livestock of Egypt, so that nothing of all that belongs to the people of Israel shall die. And so this is a very unique, this is a unique plague, this is a unique pestilence that we're talking about here, in that it shows a distinction which most don't, most of the time. But then we also see a more, uh, before Pharaoh finally lets them go, we see one more where there was a distinction, and, those were the, and that was those that had the blood of the lamb upon their doorpost. So, I think that there's a time when the judgment of God will make a definite distinction between uh, his people 
And that may be because we're not here. I don't know, but uh, that's a time. That's a discussion for another time. Uh, so a distinction. And there was also another verse, and I found this interesting. Uh, while we're here, while we're right here in Exodus, you know, later on in the uh, in Psalms eight, it said that it says the or. 91 verse 8 you will only look with your eyes and in uh, in Exodus 14 and 31 uh, it says Israel the situation is they just come through the Red Sea they're just on the other side Pharaoh's chariots are pursuing them and they're on the dry ground, walls of water on either side. Israel gets across. He closes up the sea. And it says, Israel saw the great power that the Lord used against the Egyptians. So the people feared the Lord and they believed in the Lord and in his servant Moses. So it says they saw with their eyes. And here it says, you will only look with your eyes. And so which leads some credence to possibly Moses having written this psalm. But e either way, uh, the Lord is exercising his judgment and there are times that it will only be with our eyes that we'll see it. That it will not, it will not visit us and there will be a distinction made for his elect. And then back to Psalms 91 and verse 4. Uh, he will cover you with his pinions and under his wings you will find refuge and his faithfulness as a shield and a buckler. Uh, so we have two images here. We have an image, uh, one pulled from nature uh, and one pulled from military. Uh, from warfare. You know, the first one is that image of a bird uh, who covers her, you know, something scares them, some, some are bad, or they're in pouring rain or it's freezing cold or whatever. And I'm sure you've either seen this in real life or certainly on National Geographic or something, but uh, that bird covers those, those hens, those little chicks. I mean, they just, whoom, they're right there, and, she, and you can't see them at this point because she has them uh, protected. And uh, which I did think about the antithesis of this, I guess, would be uh, in John, or no, I'm sorry, Matthew, I guess, 23, when Jesus is coming into Jerusalem for the last time. Uh, he looks at Jerusalem and he said, oh, how many times would I not have gathered you unto myself, but you would not. But we certainly have the decision to make that we can certainly run to mamas, to daddies, to God's protection. And then the second part of this is a soldier. Is that with a soldier of a shield? It says shield and buckler. 
the shield, shield was the big shield. That's the one, like you saw the Romans, you know, the, the front row would have their shields up, and the guys right behind them would lock them in the front, you know, and they would be in the, all the arrows that came raining down, you know, would be deflected by the, by the shield. That's the big shield. And then uh, this says buckler. The buckler is the small little one that they wore like on their wrist or forearm to do like hand-to-hand combat because the big shield was too big to try and do that. Uh, but then also there are other translations that translate this rampart, which would be a, that's the big wall, like on a castle with a walkway on top where they you know, shot the arrows and poured hot oil on the guys that were trying to bust the door down. Uh, but either way, it's a symbol, it's a very real symbol of the protection uh, of God for his people. And when I saw shield and faithfulness that it talks about, my mind, of course, I went to another very familiar same uh, piece of scripture that we talked about earlier in Ephesians six sixteen. In all circumstances, take up the shield of faith, which will extinguish all the fiery darts of the evil one. So God giving us his and lending us his protection uh, in our lives. And then in verse 5 through 8, courage and confidence. If you look at the first four words, you will not fear. Uh, One of the most repeated commands in the Bible is fear not. In any of its versions, it may be do not be anxious or it may be don't let your heart be troubled or it may in many, many cases be fear not for I am with you for I am. And there are all the reasons that God has told us to fear not. I wish uh, sometimes as I was walking up on this stage, I could, <laughs> yeah, I could fear not. Uh, but what are we not to be and then so going down the rest of the verses you look through the rest of the, uh, this uh, set of verses what are we not afraid of we are not afraid of the terror of the night everything seems spookier in the darkness uh, we are not afraid by arrows of the day we're not uh, the pestilence that starts Talks in the darkness, the destruction that wastes at noonday. Uh, and then the biggie, I think, is death. Thousands are falling around you on both sides of you, but you will not fear. And I think for the believer, uh, and that's who he's, you know, believers is who he's talking to in this psalm. He's talking to the people who dwell in the shelter and abide in the shadow of the Almighty. So I think for the, for the believer it's pretty easy, as it can be easy, I guess. I mean, what are you going to do? You're going to threaten me with heaven? Uh, you know, so not that anybody has a death wish, and that's you know, not what I'm saying. I think you know, but uh, 
Paul asked rhetorically in 1 Corinthians 15, 55, O death, where is thy sting? O grave, where is your victory? Uh, and then he state, plainly states in Philippians 1, 22, to live as Christ, to die as gain. Uh, so you will not be afraid of night terrors or errors or pestilence or destruction or death happening all around you. And so as Christians, uh, we need not fear the insanity and chaos that's going on all around us. I mean, I I don't know. I don't know about you guys. But I I can take about five minutes of Fox News, and that's about all I can stand. I mean, I just I just go. Well, I'm going to go watch Andy Griffith or, or you know Little House on the Prairie, or or I'll go download a sermon. You know, I'll go. Yeah, there's lots of good sermons all over YouTube that you can. I mean, guys uh, that are uh, tremendous preachers. You know, and I. And I need that. After five minutes of Fox News, I need to run somewhere and listen to something uplifting. Uh, so, uh, so why is it that you don't have to fear what's going on today all around us? And very plainly is because Jesus is alive and because God has a plan. I hope you believe that. I pray you believe that. When Jesus <clears throat> showed up in Bethany uh, four days after Lazarus had died, uh, Martha, as soon as she heard uh, that he was coming, she came uh, running out to meet him. And as she did, she said, Wow, if you'd have been here, my brother wouldn't have died. And even now, I know that whatever you ask from God, God will give you. And Jesus said, your brother will rise again. And Martha, and Martha said, well, yeah, he'll rise, and I understand he'll rise in the resurrection on that last day. And Jesus said to her, in verse 25, I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me, though he die, yet shall he live. For everyone who lives and believes in me shall never die. Do you believe this? And this question still echoes today. Do you believe this? If you want to know how to believe this, I'm asking you again to don't leave here today without knowing about Jesus Christ. Moving along. Verses 9 through 13. The, uh, the uh, writer here does 
kind of what we would call in, mo in modern vernacular, he uh, doubles down on what he said in, uh, in back in verses 1 and 3. He basically repeats uh, what he has said in 1 and 3, but he adds two more elements uh, to it, one being angelic protection and victory over the enemy. Now, I've never seen an angel that I know of, but in Hebrews 13 and 2, it says, Don't neglect to show hospitality to strangers. Therefore, some have entertained angels unaware. And then in Hebrews 1, 13 and 14, uh, God talking said, And to which of the angels has he ever said, Sit at my right hand until I make your enemies a footstool, footstool for your feet. And this is a rhetorical question. He's never asked the angels. He said, what angel have I ever asked that of? He has not. Uh, but they are, verse 14, <clears throat> are they not ministering spirits sent out to serve for the sake of those who are to inherit salvation? So ministering spirits, uh, you know, probably what the probably what the the world might call luck. Uh, you know, boy, if I'd taken one more step, I would have. Or if, wow, if I hadn't took that turn that I thought was wrong, you know, I never would have ended up here. Or my wife's favorite one is, uh, see, if we hadn't been running late. We could have been right in the middle of that accident right there, you know. And, uh, you know, I, I think sometimes there's divine providence, and I think sometimes there's just running late. But uh, anyway, I am more than happy uh, to believe that, uh, that I have God-directed angels looking out for me and my family. Uh, you know, I, I thought about uh, Job. That uh, you know, the devil complains to the Lord that that uh, he had put a hedge around Job, and uh, I don't think he was talking about bushes. Uh, I think that uh, maybe there were angels surrounding him and his family. Uh, the second thing we see in this in this is. Uh, Authority over the enemy. And I'm not going to, I don't think I need to, uh, but uh, to stay very long here. But from the very beginning, from Genesis and then all through the rest of uh, many places in Scripture, the devil is referred to as the serpent. And then in, uh, in 1 Peter 5 8, Peter says, Be sober minded, be watchful. Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion. Seeking whom he may devour. So you will trample the enemy underfoot. John, first John one or first John four four says, "For he who is in you is greater than the one that who is in the world that is in the world." Period. God said it. When the Bible speaks, God speaks, and there's really no discussion. We may not, we may not uh, take that to our advantage, 
but nonetheless. Uh, we have victory over the enemy by the blood of Jesus Christ. And now, verses 14 through 16, I think, uh, are the heart of this song. Uh, I think it's the explanation point. I think it's the focal point that brings it all uh, together. Uh, we have shifted in our speaker here. The, uh, this is not the psalmist speaking anymore in verses 14 on, 14, 15, and 16. This is God speaking. And, uh, you know, it, it took, sometimes I never have professed to be the, the brightest bulb on the tree. Sometimes it takes me a little while, but finally one day I looked at, if you just look at all three of these verses at one time, kind of as a unit, uh, it just almost jumps off the page at you. So uh, if you will look at who is doing all the work in 14 through 16, it's God. Six times in three verses, I will... I will, I will, I will, I will, I will, I will. I will deliver, I will protect, I will answer, I will be with, I will rescue and honor, I will satisfy and show. God in every situation working, and I think uh, I, did, I did want to, in case, uh, lest we fall into error, uh, In, uh, in verse 15, where he says, When he calls to me, I will answer him. I will be with him in trouble. You know, you could take this psalm and take it very shallow. You could look at it very just on the surface and say, Well, this is some kind of name it and claim it thing. You know, I just say, Oh, well, yeah. Uh, I love you, Jesus. And nothing evil is ever going to, nothing bad it's going to happen to me, and I think this right here, and when, of course, I read that, and the first thing I, I thought about, uh, yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. And that's what God promises, is for it to be with us. Uh, and here he says, when he's in trouble, <clears throat> I will rescue him, and I will honor him with long life and satisfy him. Long life, I think, is eternal life. I don't think he's talking about our little life that, as James says, is a mist that's here for just a little while and it's gone. In the morning, he's talking about, he's talking about not only length of life, but quality of life. When Jesus says, I'll give you eternal life. And he will show him, I will show him my salvation. This is God's salvation uh, he gave it to you, and you will always have it. 
And so as I was thinking about this one day, uh, I think the Holy Spirit takes a while sometimes to, uh, you know, I, I just, it just kind of, you know, it wasn't like a flashing lights and foghorns, but it just kind of, I said, you know, this sounds like Romans 31, Romans 8, 31 through 39. Uh, I mean, this sounds like if God be for us, who can be against us in Romans 8 and 31? And so this is the security of the believer. This is the assurance of salvation. The whole song. That's what it took me. You know, I'm going to look at the big. Yeah, I think he says that you can't see the forest for the trees sometimes. And this is the big picture. Uh, it is God who justifies in verse 33. Just listen. I, we didn't put this on the screen. Uh, and then in verse 35, here again, very, very familiar scripture who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine, famine or nakedness or danger or sword? Uh, no. Verse 37, in all these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. And, I'm, <clears throat> and I am sure that neither death nor life nor angels or rulers nor present nor things present nor things to come nor powers, nor height, or death, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. Amen. So the psalmist just said it in another way. He just said, God is our fortress. He is my fortress. And not snares, and not arrows, and not pestilence. And, and not all those things that spoke to, to, uh, to them at that time. None of those will breach the wall of my salvation. God will hold me fast because he is my fortress. And I can rest. Just like Jesus says, enter into my rest. I can rest in the shadow of the Almighty. May the word of the Lord dwell richly in us all. Let's pray. Father, we just praise you today for your word. We praise you, Lord, for your salvation. We praise you, Lord, that we are holding on. We are steadfast in our love for you. Lord, that it is unshakable, that it is unmovable. Lord, yea, though you slay me, I will trust you. Father, we just praise you today. And Lord, we just rest in the eternal rest that comes only from the Holy Spirit of God. Amen.